From time to time over the years, uh, when I have come out to teach, uh, we have gone out of our way to play up the cute factor. Uh, because I am the children's pastor and I work with kids, uh, sometimes we will utilize children in amazingly adorable ways, right? And I get it. I work with kids. Kids are cute and adorable. I'm cute and adorable. So let's just, let's just have at it, right? A number of years ago, um, one of the times that I was teaching, I can't even remember now why, but I'm sure it was a good idea at the time. You know those electric or battery-operated cars that the kids drive around in the neighborhoods? I was driven out on stage in one of those by a couple uh, kids, and so that was great. And today, uh, at some of our campuses, that song, Good, Good Father, was just sung to you by sweet, adorable children. My concern with that is that sometimes, because of the flood of cuteness coming at you, that you miss the truth of the message that they were singing about. And it's a really, really important truth. It's why I was excited to have the kids sing that song for you today that says, God, you are a good, good father. And you are perfect in all of your ways. Because sometimes we question that. Sometimes because of the circumstances of our lives, we ask ourselves, is God really good? And not just good, is God really perfect? And the answer to that every single time is a resounding yes. And not only is our God good and perfect, but we are amazingly, profoundly, undeservedly loved by him. And over the years, that has really become the goal of my parenting. It has become the goal of my ministry. When I'm working with my own kids, when I am working with your kids, that more than anything else is what I want them to know. That God is a good and perfect father and that they are loved by him. And I want them to know that, not just in the way that sometimes we know things intellectually, but it doesn't really impact us, right? So maybe students, you know, you've heard your parents talk to you about the importance of eating right, and you've studied that in health class, yet at lunch, you're still eating a bag of Doritos and drinking a can of Coke, right? Not, not that kind of knowledge, like, yeah, I know what I should be doing, but I'm not doing it. I'm talking about the knowledge that transforms to the depths of our souls who we are. That's how I want our kids to understand that God is a good and perfect father and that they are loved by him. Today we are in the second week of our Pathway series where we are focusing on how to lead kids to walk with Jesus Christ. And that is very different than a parenting series because some of us are going to do that. Some of us are going to work with kids in the context of our parenting, but many of us are going to work with kids beyond that. Now, today we're focusing on grade schoolers, faith lessons for grade schoolers and how to pass those things on to them. And some of you are parents of kids that are 
about to become grade schoolers. Some of you are parents of grade schoolers. But many of you interact with grade school kids in a different way. Many of you impact grade school kids right here at Christ Community as you serve in one of our ministries. Some of you might do that on a weekly basis when you go into a school and mentor a child through Kids Hope. Some of you might do that because down the street from you, there's a family with grade school kids. And maybe they don't have a dad or a mom, or maybe things aren't great with their dad or their mom, and God has called you to step in and fill some of that gap. Maybe you've got nieces, nephews, maybe you're a coach or you give music lessons. There are a host of ways that we can impact the grade school kids that God has sent to us. And so today we're going to look at how do we pass on faith to those kids in the context of those different types of relationships. Now, maybe you don't fit any of those circumstances and you don't impact with any grade school kids. Uh, first thing is I can help you with that. I have lots of grade school kids that I can partner you with and I might just talk more about that before we're done here today. But the other thing is the passage that we're going to look at today, I intentionally chose for a couple reasons. One, because I think it does a great job of giving us three really key lessons that we can pass on to our grade school kids. That was the primary thing. But the secondary thing is every week when we gather here, when the teaching is done, it's done on a couple different levels. Right? Obviously, we want you to grasp the content that we're talking about the insights into God's word, the application that you can make to your life on a daily basis. But also what we want to have happen is we want you to understand how you can, when you're studying the Bible, arrive at those same conclusions on your own. And so I chose 1 John for us to look at today because I think 1 John is a great way for us to look at not our not just what are three key faith lessons we can pass on to grade school kids, but how can we take a book of the Bible and study it and draw application from it? And I did this largely with my NIV study Bible, all right? So we encourage you to have one of those. If you look at your NIV study Bible and you look at 1 John in the very beginning, it'll give you some background information before you even get into the text. And so I want to highlight for you some of the background things, some of what's happening here in 1 John. It was written by John, John the Apostle of, you know, Peter, James, and John fame, who also wrote the book of John, who also wrote Revelation. Uh, it's written to believers, and it's probably a circular letter, which means it was passed around because it's not just identifying a specific group of people. 1 John is written largely to deal with a particular lie, a particular heresy that was being taught and was going around called Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism, which comes from the Greek word to know, and again, this is all from your NIV study Bible, was saying, hey, salvation is not really gained by faith. Salvation is gained by knowledge. And salvation is gained as you leave the body. One of the things that Gnosticism believed is that the body, physical matter, was inherently evil. And so to receive salvation, you had to separate from the body, from that physical matter. 
which also then led to the belief that, well, Jesus wasn't truly a man because if matter is evil, then Jesus being God couldn't also be man. And so what a lot of Gnostics believed was that Christ's divinity came on him after he was baptized but left before he died, okay? Obviously not something that lines up with the rest of God's word. And also because of this, if you think, you know, the body is inherently evil anyway, then it doesn't really matter so much what you do with it. So a lot of people that subscribe to this belief led incredibly immoral lives because, well, what difference does it make um, in something that's inherently evil anyways? Now, how does all of this connect to passing faith on to our grade school kids? We are going to look at that and look at three very large themes that 1 John addresses. But before we do that, I want to look at the first four verses of 1 John. And I want us to see how, no matter what your context is in working with grade school kids, what is the underlying common thing that all of us can do to pass on faith lessons to them? Because I know in my experience, um, and just so you know, here's my experience. I've been working with kids and youth and families for almost 25 years now. Um, my own family situation is God has entrusted five children to us, four sons that live in our home that we have raised. And about a year ago, God brought a uh, 17, now 18-year-old girl that doesn't live with us into our lives, but who spiritually is very much our daughter. And so that is my kind of context when I think about what my experience is and has been with grade school kids. But in that experience, as I talk to people, there is oftentimes a spectrum. Let's look at just parenting, for example. On one end of the spectrum, sometimes I'll have parents come to me and they'll say, hey, Randy, I want my kid to grow in their knowledge of God. I want my kid to know about Jesus, but I'm not really sure how to do that for them. You guys do. You are the Jesus experts, and so I'm going to bring my kid to church and entrust them to you to teach them who Jesus is, okay? That's no good. That's not our approach. That's not how we want you to look at our partnership together. We as a church very much believe that God has called parents, first and foremost, to teach and train their kids in the ways of God. And we are here to support and partner with you because God has not called you to do that on your own. But that's one end of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum is sometimes parents who say to me, Randy, my kid's at church every time there's something going on, but we're only doing three additional Bible studies with them during the week, and I'm concerned that that's not enough, okay? And to those parents, I would simply say, breathe, okay? Just slow down. And so here's what I would say is a great way for all of us to approach this together. And it comes from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father 
and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So here's what John is saying. John's saying, look, this is what we personally have experienced. This is what we've seen. This is what we've touched. This is what we know. And this is what we're proclaiming to you. And I would say that is the best place for you to start in terms of passing on faith to the kids that God has entrusted to you is to model for them what you are experiencing in your relationship with Christ. For you to live well the faith that God has given you in front of them. And then certainly you wanna add to that by bringing them to church and getting them around other people that know him and being strategic about how you at home study God's word and discuss it together. But first and foremost, the most traction you will get is for those grade school kids in your life to see you living out your faith, to hear you talking about the difference that Christ has made in your life. And I get the fact that in certain contexts, you have more freedom to do that in others. But as best you can, discuss those things. And there's ways to discuss what Christ has done and is doing in you without specifically mentioning the name of Christ if you are in a context where you're not able to do that. But whatever your context is, first and foremost, live out your faith well in front of them. Say, this is what I have experienced. This is what I know. And I wanna pass that on to you so that we can have fellowship together, so that the fellowship I am experiencing with Christ, you can experience with Christ, and we can experience that fellowship together. I wanna give you an example of that. Uh, a guy I know named Keith Farron, uh, he has this pretty remarkable ministry where he has now taken and memorized entire books of the Bible, not just, you know, like the one chapter guys, like the book of John, for example. And he will go and he will recite, perform, if you will, the book of John in front of groups of people. But in addition to that, he has written books and he does a lot of great teaching on how to study and how to love studying God's word. And a number of years ago, he wrote this book called Like Ice Cream, The Scoop on Helping the Next Generation Fall in Love with God's Word. <laughs> now, let me explain to you why, actually, I'll let him explain to you why the cheesy pun in the title, all right? So here's what Keith has to say. What's with the title? Ice cream. Just saying the words brings a smile to my face. Also tempts me to stop writing, head downstairs, and open my freezer. Let's get one thing right out in the open. I love ice cream. Growing up, there were two events that happened nearly every day in our home. Dinner as a family at six, a bowl of ice cream at eight. You can blame it on my dad. After all, he's had the same love for ice cream, including the daily six dinner, eight ice cream schedule since he was a kid. So I guess you'd better blame granddad Farron. Rumor has it, the ice cream addiction started with him. And guess what? All three of my kids love it too. Another generation of Farron's hopelessly and happily addicted to ice cream. Not too long ago, I was driving down the street and the thought came into my mind. 
am I passing down my love for God's word the same way I'm passing down my love for ice cream? I'm not just talking about am I doing it, but am I doing it in the same way, just as easily, just as naturally, just as joyfully? I never sat my kids down and said, kids, here's what your mother and I love about ice cream. It's tasty, it's creamy, it's cool and smooth. It comes in many delicious flavors. No, not even close. I just ate it regularly. They saw me love it and I served it to them. Sometimes plain, sometimes on a cone, and now they love it. I want my love for God's word to be passed on to them as it was passed on to me. I want that love to be generational, just like ice cream. So what he's saying is, I have this thing in my life that I love, and I love it passionately. And because I love it passionately, it was just natural for me to pass on that love to my kids. They just got caught up and swept up in the experience of it. And guess what? Now they love it too. And so what the book is about and what he, the question is he, he's asking is, how do we do that with the kids that we have in our lives? How do they see us experiencing this love for God's word and how is that passed on to them? That's what should be happening naturally, joyfully. And we wanna help you with that. If you were here last week, you heard us talk about this new resource that in Kids World and Student Ministries, we've put together to help you engage your kids on this pathway of following Christ and we've called it Parent Pathway. And so one of the things that we have available for you is a part of that, our Bible recommendations. So no matter what age of kid you have, we've got a certain Bible that we recommend that you put in their hands and begin to read with them. Now, maybe in the context of your relationship, it's not a kid that's in your home that you can have that ice cream with on a daily basis. Well, maybe then you find a way to have that discussion with them from time to time or once in a while, or maybe you have the ability to simply pass them a Bible and say, hey, we're gonna talk about this from time to time. Whatever it is, you've gotta figure out what is the context that God's put you in and how can you, within that context, pass on lessons of faith to your kids. So, the three themes that we're gonna look at that come from the book of First John that are in the intro section of your NIV study Bible are belief, obedience, and love. Those are the three faith lessons that we wanna pass on to our grade school kids. Those are your three fill in the blanks for today. So if you have to leave early, you've got all the answers now. Belief, obedience, and love. And so I looked and there's a few verses that I think encapsulate all three of those things, and then we're going to look at each one individually. So in 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 to 10, it talks about all three of those ideas, belief, obedience, and love. It says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Belief. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin 
because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. All of that's talking about obedience, and here's the love part. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So we're going to look individually at each of those, but before we do, let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you entrust kids into our care. Whether that's in our home or in our work or in a volunteer capacity, many of us in this room have the right and the responsibility to speak into the lives of children. And I pray that we would steward that responsibility well. And I pray, God, that as we look at belief and obedience and love, that you would give us ideas into how each of us can do that in the specifics of the context that we are in with particular grade school kids in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was looking in my NIV study Bible and it identified these three themes, it also identified passages from 1 John that went with each of them. So those are the passages that we're going to look at, okay? Now, you might be sitting there saying, man, Randy, didn't you do any of your own work for this message? Yes, I did. I bought an NIV study Bible. We've been telling you to do it for years, so, you know, you could have been up here teaching. But, all right, belief. A good section that talks about belief is in 1 John chapter 2, verses 21 to 27. John says, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. So John is writing to believers. He's writing to people that he knows already know the truth. Verse 22, who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about all things. And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So what's going on here is there are some people that are actively trying to teach things that are false to the church. And John is saying, hey, I want you to be aware that that is happening. You don't need to fall for that because you've been taught the truth and you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in you that is continuing to teach you the truth. So remain in him. Now, there's probably not a lot of discussion specifically around Gnosticism in our neighborhood grade schools these days. But there are an awful lot of lies being told to our kids every single day. Lies about God. And when we believe incorrect things about God, it causes us to believe incorrect things about ourselves. The more truth we know and understand about God, 
the better and clearer and more accurate picture we have about who we are. And so the kids that you are impacting in your life are dealing every single day with people trying to lie to them. And sometimes those lies become internalized and then they begin lying to themselves. And so it is incredibly important that we help our kids understand the truth about who God is and what God has done and what God is doing and who they as kids are and who God is calling them to be, who they can become in him. And the way to do that is to expose them to the truth of God, which of course starts with his word, which is what we've already spent some time talking about. We need to be really strategic and intentional about our kids being taught the word of God, certainly at home and certainly here. And again, I get the fact that this is not directed only at parents. And so in some of your relationships with some of the kids, you're limited in the ways you can do this. But as best you can, as often as you can, expose them to the truth of God's word. And certainly, if you are parents and you have much control over how much time you're spending together in God's word or how much time you have them here in church, prioritize that. Make that a key value. In the attendance pattern that your kids see you as a family have, Are you sending them the message, hey, gathering together with the church to worship and to study God's word is priority over everything else? Or are they understanding it's priority until something else important comes along, like whatever season of sports we happen to be in, and then this priority drops for a while? The more they are around and exposed to the truth, the more they will understand about who God is. My wife and I grew up together. I've known her since I was seven years old. Yeah, oh yes, that's adorable. Um, And she has been in love with me now most of her life. And I know a lot about her. So if a group of us were to sit down and play the game, you know, two truths and a lie, it'd be pretty easy for me to identify with my wife what are the truths and what is the lie because I know her so well. And that's what we want for our kids. We want them to know God so well that when they hear a lie from media or from somebody else in their life or from themselves, that they can identify pretty easily and pretty quickly, "Eh, that's not true. I don't even need to mess with that. And that will not always be easy. There will be times where you understand the value of getting your kids here and they do not. Right? Not too long ago, we had a night of worship where we came together as a church, all campuses together to worship God. And my kids weren't super excited about coming to that. You know, they had been at church already in the morning and they had stuff they wanted to do in the evening. And as we talked about the value of being here and why it was important, you know, the longer that conversation went, the worse the attitudes got. And my kids' attitudes, too, was also going down. 
And at one point, one of them looked at me and said, I hate worship. Oh, made me so proud. <laughs> and I said, you are just like your mother. No, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And I certainly wouldn't have said that if she were in this service, but she's not in this particular service right now. So, But we will need to parent our kids to understand what's best for them even when they don't. So expose your kids to the truth as often as possible. Make it accessible for them. I was at dinner a few months ago with some people at this restaurant and um, I'm diabetic, so I generally, generally do a pretty good job avoiding desserts at dinner, restaurants, things like that. And uh, that was my intention going in. This particular restaurant, though, it wasn't just the server coming at the end and saying, hey, anybody save room for dessert? No, she had this tray of desserts that she brought right to our table. And it wasn't just like a, uh, a display tray. She made it really clear. No, if you want this one right here, I'll leave it with you. And one of the things that was on there was cannoli. Now, I've been diabetic for a while, but I've been Italian my whole life. <laughs> so if you put a cannoli right there in front of me and say, no, you can take this one, I'm probably going to take it. And in that moment, I did. And that's what we want to do with our kids when it comes to Christ and faith and God's word. We want to put it right there in front of them. And sometimes that means dragging them to the dessert tray and saying, hey, this is what you want. You might not think it's what you want right now. You might want to stay home. But no, trust me, this is what you want. And so whenever a parent asks me, you know, particularly as their kids get older, Randy, my kid doesn't want to come to church as much anymore. I don't know, should I force them? If I force them to go, is that going to turn them off to God? I say, yes, force them to go. Because Romans 10 makes it clear. Faith comes by hearing. You want them to hear the word of God as often as possible. The more they know of the truth... The more they believe about the truth, the more they will want to obey. So let's move on to the next faith lesson, obedience. For that, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 8 and keep reading through the beginning of chapter 2. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. 
Our kids need to understand that if they are going to claim to believe the right things about Jesus, then it's going to be evidenced in their lives, in how they live, in are they being obedient to him. And obedience is a big deal. God calls us to obedience because he wants our best for him and he wants his best for us. And that only happens as we obey. As we obey, as our kids obey, they get to experience God's best for them in giving their best to him. And it's not simply, oh man, the Bible's a big list of do's and don'ts, right? Whenever I hear that, I know there's a heart issue behind that statement. Because things that we love, things that we're passionate about, we don't mind the lists of do's and don'ts, right? A couple of my boys play baseball. I played baseball growing up. I love baseball. And as coaches were teaching me, as my dad was teaching me as I was growing up the rules, I never said, oh man, this baseball thing, it's just one big long list of do's and don'ts. No, because I cared about learning the sport and playing it well. And then when you get out in the park and you're just messing around with some of your buddies and you're playing, if most of you are following the rules and you get one kind of goofball that's like, hey, I'm going to run the opposite direction. It's like, oh, dude, you're ruining this for everybody. Why? Because there's a way that the game is supposed to be played. And as everybody plays that game, it makes it best for everybody. Right? Think about what, how much better our world would be if everybody was obeying and following God's laws. You wouldn't have to hear about all the things you hear about on the news. I wouldn't have to have, you know, identity theft insurance for my 10-year-old if I knew, oh, everybody's going to live and follow God's best for them. Right? And so we want our kids to understand, yes, there are things that God says, this is right and this is wrong, but here's why. And so in our leadership of them, in our home, on our teams, in our classes, wherever you are interacting with these kids, you want to try and convey to them it's not just about the behavior, it's about the heart behind the behavior. And sometimes you need to focus on the behavior. Don't get me wrong, right? Like if one kid is turning blue because another kid has them in a chokehold, it's probably not best to say, you know what, let's just focus on what's going on in your heart right now, okay? No, it's probably best to say, let go of them, let some air come back in, and then later on, talk about the heart. But I know for me, sometimes my struggle is I skip over the heart because of the behavior is bothering me. And in my concern for my peace and quiet, in my selfishness, I forget about the heart and I only focus on the behavior. And that's no good for anybody. And so we need to keep the heart behind the behavior in mind. We need to keep why is there right and wrong? Why does God have that for us? You know, an example that was passed on to me by my parents had to do with stewardship and giving. My parents instilled in me, hey, any money we get, 10% of it goes back to God. And that back to part was important to help me remember, well, it's his to begin with. So I'm only giving back to him a portion of what it was. 
And so when I had my first job, when I was 13 years old, when I started making money, I started giving 10% of it back to God because that's simply what I had been taught. And so I want to pass that on to my kids as well. And again, the whole cannoli thing. If you're going to give your kid a dollar, don't give them a dollar bill. Give them 10 dimes. Make it really easy for them to follow up in the act of obedience. If you're going to give your kid 10 bucks, don't give them 10 bucks. Give them... Yeah, I couldn't understand what you said, but hopefully you said a five and five singles, right? Make it easy for them to break apart, okay, what of this is going to go back to God so that we can help them obey and focus on the heart. And when we grow in our obedience, one of the things that God tells us to do very clearly is to love others, which is really hard because loving others means I'm focused more on you than I am on me. And if it's hard for us as students or adults, it's certainly hard for our kids and our younger brothers and sisters. So let's look at uh, the love section or one of the love sections in 1 John. I chose chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, and then we're going to drop down to verse 19 to 21. So 1 John chapter 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent us his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, again, he's not just talking specifically about biological brothers and sisters. He's talking about all of us that are believers and brothers and sisters in Christ. And he makes it really clear. If you claim to love God, but don't love your brother or sister, you are a liar. Now, I've never tried this in my home, but I'm tempted to after reading this and thinking about this for our time together today. The next time my kids are giving each other a hard time and it appears that they're not loving each other, I'm just going to point at them and yell, liar, <laughs> which will probably startle them because that's what he's saying. Don't tell me you love God if you can't even love each other. And unfortunately, there have been times in my parenting when I have had to very genuinely look at my kids and say, why do you hate your brothers? Because sometimes standing back, that's what it looks like to me. And so it's important for us to teach them in those moments that that's how it's coming across 
It's important for us to teach them in those moments, hey, didn't you make a commitment to follow Jesus? You know, perhaps didn't you even get baptized and tell like a bunch of people that you were intending that? Let's not forget about that when it comes to the ways you interact with your brothers and your sisters and the people that you're interacting with at home, at school, on your teams, in the neighborhood, wherever. Because our kids need to understand. It's not just what about what I believe. Like, yeah, we need them to understand the truth. We want them to understand that God is a good father, that he is perfect, and that they are deeply, amazingly loved by him. But we want them to understand that so that they are transformed, so that they begin to obey and obey very consistently. And know, like John said, they should not be sinning. But when they do sin, that they have an advocate who stands for them, who's given his life for them to take their place on the cross to pay for their sins. We want them to understand that as well. And one very huge, very large, very important area of life where they need to be obeying is in the area of love. How do they love one another? Which is hard because it's hard to think selflessly. So as best we can with the kids that we lead, we want to put them in situations that causes them to be uncomfortable where they can serve other people. Because as they serve other people, as they get out of simply just thinking about themselves and their needs and their wants, their hearts of love will grow. I know for the kids that I influence, as I have put them in situations that cause them to stand back and say, okay, this is not about us right now, it causes their hearts of love to grow. And so again, we want to hand them that cannoli to say, okay, here's an opportunity for you to grow in your love. Now, I have, as we have uh, hung out here together in our time today, tried to very subtly communicate to you a way and a place where all of you can be used by God. And I want to take a couple minutes and very directly, very unapologetically, unashamedly talk to you about serving in kids' world. Next week, I encourage you to come back. Pastor Jim is going to talk about passing on faith lessons to teenagers. So maybe you are not going to be here next week, and maybe God has called you to serve with teenagers. Then take care of that today as well. But God has entrusted Christ Community Church with a lot of kids of all ages. And that is a stewardship responsibility that we as a church have. I love the fact that my kids, when they come to church, are able to be around other people that are able to pass on these lessons of belief and obedience and love to them, and that they don't just hear it from mom and dad. I also love the fact that we have some kids that never hear this from their moms and dads, and we have people that have said, hey, you know what? I will invest time and energy into serving. 
And so if you are not currently connected with a group of kids or an individual kid, and you would like to be used by God in that way at all of our campuses today, we've got tables out that when you leave, you can go talk to somebody and say, hey, what does it look like to be involved serving? And we will help you get started with that. And we will help you along the way. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to have a master's degree in child psychology, okay? It's pretty simple. You have to show love and care and compassion for kids. Students, where are all my students? Raise your hand if you're sixth grade, high school, middle school. This is gonna surprise you to hear me say this, but I am no longer cool. <laughs> I, I know, it's surprising, but I stopped being cool decades ago and I am okay with that. You are in the prime of your coolness. And so when I can connect you, who the grade school kids look at and want to be, if you love Christ and are able to pass on your love for Christ, remember the first passage of scripture that we looked at, what you have seen, what you have experienced, that gets a whole lot of traction with kids that quite honestly, I as an adult can't get with them. There are ways you can speak to the life of a grade school kid that I no longer can. And so for you, we would love to, we already have dozens and dozens of students serving in Kids World, and that's awesome, and we could use more. And for those of you that are adults that work with those students, welcome them, teach them, show them patience because it's super important that they're involved. The last thing I wanna specifically talk about are children with special needs. God in his infinite wisdom has been sending us more and more kids with special needs. And we welcome them, but it is hard. And we need people that are willing to say, I love Jesus and I love children and I especially love children with special needs and I would be willing to spend time and focus caring on one specific kid to help them believe right, obey, and love well. And so again, if you're interested in any of those things, if you have questions about any of those things, go out to one of the tables at your campus and someone's there to talk with you and answer any questions that you have. At the end of our services today at all of our campuses, we have people available to pray with you. And uh, I just want to invite you, if there's something going on in your life, maybe you've got a grade school kid with you and they're in kids world and you want to receive prayer together as a family, as soon as we're done and service is over, go get them out of kids world and bring them back. And all of us that are gonna be praying for people would love to pray with you as an entire family together. So at all of our campuses, I wanna extend that invitation to you. And the last thing is that I recognize when we talk about these things that some of us look back 
and wish we had done some things differently. I experienced that last week listening to Clayton talk about preschool kids, which by the way, if you missed that one uh, and you influence preschool kids somewhere, somehow, definitely go back and listen to that. But the last thing we want is for you to walk around with discouragement and despair about what could have been or what should have been. And so I will simply tell you what I tell your kids all the time in Kids World. God has an infinite, unending amount of power. And God has an infinite, unending amount of love. God is love. And every single time, God will bring his power and his love together to work out his best purpose in your life and in the life of your kid. So instead of walking around with regret and remorse, focus on today and moving forward and understand the importance and the power of prayer and know that God loves whatever kid is in your life way more than you ever could. And he's got the power to enact his plan on their behalf. Let me pray for us and then we're gonna take our offering and worship together. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your truth. We thank you and praise you for being good and perfect and for loving us. And now as we give back to you some of what you have given to us, we pray that it would be used for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.